Why don't you grab a seat where you're at this morning? When I was 13 years old, I remember walking home with my friend from school. And we were walking together. I used to walk with the same friend every single day on my way home from school. It was like maybe a half hour walk. Actually, a half hour walk. This isn't like the longer it goes, it like the, the walk gets longer. It's actually like a half hour walk to get home. And so we had lots of time to chat and talk to each other as we were walking. And uh, I remember her asking me, Kim, have you ever made yourself throw up? And I remember thinking to myself in my head, I was like, on purpose? No, like that's disgusting. Why would I ever do that? And I remember just like saying out loud to her like, no, why, have you? She's like, oh no, I was just wondering. And that was the end of our conversation. I didn't really think anything else of it. And then maybe like a couple months later, I remember, I was like probably about 13 at the time. I remember, uh, reading, how many of you read Seventeen magazine at some point in your teenage years? Yeah. So I remember being in my room and my parents wouldn't let me, like I, I had Brio magazine, which was like basically the Christian version of Seventeen. That was all my parents would let me have. Um, but my friends used to let me borrow their Seventeen magazines. Uh, and so for those of you, this isn't like, it's, it's, I may, I'm talking about them, like my parents wouldn't let me have them. It's not like a dirty magazine. It was just like, it was about teenage girl things. And uh, I remember I had this Seventeen magazine that my friend had let me borrow. And I remember sitting in my room and reading through the magazine. And I stumbled across this story um, of this girl who um, had had something called anorexia, which basically means that she would not like eat and she would starve herself because she didn't want to gain weight. And there's a number of other reasons why, but that, that's what I read from the article. And the whole story was about her recovery. And it showed a before picture of her when she was just like frail and, 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 and thin. Uh, and then it showed another picture of her healthy and stronger. And I read through this article and in the article, she talked about how she would like always limit her food. But then if she ate something that she didn't want to eat or that she felt scared of or she felt nervous that she put in her body, she would make herself throw up. And I like read that and I was like, is this something that people do? I, di I didn't even know it was a thing. I'd never heard of it before. But first my friend mentions it to me on the ride home. And then a couple months later, I'm reading this magazine and, and this girl talks about how she used to do that. And in the article, I didn't at all hear the pain that she talked about or the, the, how it gripped her and how it began to control her life and how she got freedom from that. All I read was these familiar words that my friend had already talked to me about just a couple months earlier. I remember being 13 years old, and I, like, I, I don't even think I weighed 100 pounds at 13. Like I was probably smaller than I am now height-wise. I was just really tiny. I remember at 13 years old for the very first time going to the bathroom in my parents' basement and hunching over the toilet there for the first time and forcing myself to be sick. And that started for me this like very slow development of some like very, very disordered eating in my life. Where I just like became, I, I don't know, like afraid of something. I, I was like nervous to, to like put certain things in my body. And it started off where it was like, uh, like I did it one time and then maybe like a month or two later, I did it again. And then like maybe a couple weeks after that, I did it again. And probably by the time I was 15 years old, it was like 
every day, maybe multiple times a day. But here's the thing, I loved Jesus. Like, like I grew up loving God and loving Jesus and I would go to church and I would serve in my youth group and, and somebody let me sing on the worship team. I'm tone deaf, you, so this is a very bad thing to do. And I was like very involved and I would go to camp every single summer and I would go to convention, like a youth convention, a youth conference every single year and we would go on youth retreats. And every single year I would go to these different events and these different conferences and these different camps. And every single time when they would talk about giving your whole life to Jesus and not letting you know, the enemy control any part of you and, and offering everything over to God, every single time, like every without fail, I would be just like up at the front and I would just like fall on my knees and I would ask God, for forgiveness and be like, I don't know why I keep doing this. I know I'm destroying myself. I know this isn't the life that you have for me. And every single time I would ask for God to set me free and to heal me so I didn't have to live like that anymore. And I'd come home from camp or conference or retreat and within like a couple weeks, like I would always do good for a couple weeks, right? Like you've just got like the high. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You've got like the high of the conference and you're like, I can do this. Jesus changed my life. He set me free. Like I've got this. And then like the same feelings of insecurity would come in and the same feelings of loneliness would creep in. And those same like questions about my own worth and, and wondering if I was good enough, all those things started to creep in. And because I never really dealt with the root of the issue, they kept coming back again and again Again, and I found myself just insecure and broken. It was a cycle of desperately wanting to change but never being able to stick with it until I was 18. I actually remember um, having, I, I felt like I, when I was 18, I knew that I wanted to be a pastor, like to do what I'm doing right now. I knew that I wanted to give God my whole life and to be in ministry. And I remember at 18 years old, I had to like fill out my application to go to Bible college. So I could be like trained and equipped to become a pastor. And I remember there was like a medical part. It wasn't even part of my application. It was like a medical part on the application where they asked a number of questions. Have you, you know, suffered with this? Or do you have this in your past? Or, or like all these different things. And I remember there being a question about eating disorder. And it like paralyzed me. Because I remember going through and, and having to answer those questions and reading it. And I was like, ugh. Like if I tell them that this is something that I struggle with, they're never gonna let me be a pastor. Like they're never, they're never gonna let me in. And I remember in that moment, choosing to check no, but deciding in my heart that I was gonna live different. I knew that if I wanted to live with purpose and if I wanted to actually make something of my life and if I actually wanted to like really give God everything and allow him to use me, that I needed to figure out some of these other things in my life that kept holding me back. And so I decided on that day that that was gonna be like my line. I was gonna draw a line in the sand and say, I'm not gonna live like this anymore. I'm not gonna give in to these things anymore. I'm gonna choose to live different. And so for the next couple weeks and months, and years, I remember making a decision every single day to not give in to those pressures and temptations to wanna to go back to that life that I decided I was gonna leave. I like made that choice. And it lasted, like I, I, I was good for like a couple weeks, and I was good for like a couple months, and I was good for a couple years. And then I hit like the five year mark and I, I hadn't like ever made myself sick or like restricted my food or anything for five years. And I, how many of you know that's like, a, that's a victory, come on, right? And I actually remember taking a class 
when I was studying in my undergrad, taking a class, uh, and we talked a little bit about eating disorders, and, and I remember them saying it takes the average person 10 years to recover from an eating disorder. I was like, 10 years, okay, I can make it to the 10-year mark. And I remember, I just kept going. I remember hitting that 10-year mark and being like, okay, this is it. And by that point, I didn't even think about it anymore. Like every single day, I never thought about making myself sick. I never thought about restricting my food. Like I, I didn't even think about that at all. And I just kind of kept on. And sometimes people would like mention it or bring it up. And, and, and even like in preparation, someone said to me like, oh, I haven't heard you talk about that in a long time. And I was like, I know because I kind of forget that it was part of my life because it was so long ago. How many of you have things in your life like that that you're like, oh yeah, I forgot that I like overcame that because that was so long ago. Honestly, truthfully, like I, I'm telling you from the bottom of my heart, there's like 16 years later, it's just something that I just like, I, I, I don't even think about anymore. And then a couple months ago, I was in the Middle East. And for those of you who don't know, we just went through this like crazy, how do you not know? Do you watch the news? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> We were in this crazy like adoption journey and I, Clark and I were on opposite sides of the globe. I was in the Middle East, he was here, we would switch places. We did that in Africa for the first eight months in the Middle East for the last four months. And I found myself there and I was so lonely. I was so broken. And I felt like nobody understood me. And I felt like I kept praying to God and he wasn't there and he wasn't answering me. I felt this lack of purpose. I couldn't like understand who I was or why I was there or what was going on. It's just nothing in my life felt like it made sense. And somehow those same feelings were like the same kind of feelings that I first felt when I was like 13, 14, 15, 16 years old where I felt confused and I felt broken and I felt afraid and I, I just like couldn't make sense of the things that were going on in my life. And 16 years later after like giving this thing up, I found myself in a bathroom in the Middle East standing there leaning against a coal tile wall feeling like maybe I'll just do it again. Maybe this, would, this, maybe this would make me feel better. I mean, there's a number of factors involved. Like I had been diagnosed with like a thyroid disease and so I just like didn't feel like, my body didn't feel like its own. But more than that, I felt like lonely and lost and a little purposeless. I remember leaning against the tile wall and there's a small little mirror above the sink. <laughs> I remember looking at myself in it and I just started to cry. I was like, who are you? I remember looking myself in the face and saying, Kim, you can do this. You don't have to give in to this, you can do this. You don't have to go back to that old life, you can do this. Like you can do this. And I chose to walk out of the bathroom and close the door and sit. I started to talk to God, and I was like, who am I? Have you ever felt like that? <laughs> no, just me, okay. <laughs> I remember feeling, being like, who am I? This isn't even, this isn't even me. Like, this isn't, this isn't something, like, like, I, like, I actually believe at my core that, like, 
food is fuel and like what you give your body helps you to be everything that you want to be and accomplish. And I love my life. Maybe that was part of the problem in that moment. I didn't maybe have the same love for my life. I love my life and I want to do everything that I can to fuel it. And now I'm sitting here in this moment. I remember sitting on the couch in the basement and with just tears streaming down my face and saying, God, what happened to me? What happened to me? And I feel like the Holy Spirit spoke to me in that moment and said, Kim, you are not beyond vulnerability to the things that you think you're past. You are never beyond. You are never, you are never beyond it. Because I think that I thought I had conquered it, you know? (laughs) Like this was not something that was gonna take me down anymore. It wasn't even something I thought about. It wasn't something that, that I even felt like I needed to talk about anymore because it wasn't part of who I am. And all of a sudden in a lonely and a broken and a desperate moment, I feel like the enemy just like knows too well how we work, you know? And like slides in and is like, come on. Maybe it would fill that thing that you're missing. Maybe it would fill that brokenness in your life. Maybe it would do something for you. I remember feeling so much frustration and shame. I, th- I, I think I thought I was invincible. Isn't that scary? It's because Clark tells me all the time I'm a superhero, so I think I am. <laughs> it's your fault. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That was a joke. That was a joke. <laughs> And I realized that the enemy is always prowling. It didn't matter what my track record was if I had 16 years where it not even bothered me a little bit. It didn't matter about my position. Oh, good job, Pastor Kim. <laughs> it didn't matter about my commitment to God. It didn't shield me from the pressure to fall back into something that could do- destroy my life. I was vulnerable and I let my guard down. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, our main character, David, finds himself facing his own vulnerabilities and he makes a decision or multiple decisions that begin to chisel himself into his own image instead of God's image. Let's read 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse two. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, David's taken a little snooze in the afternoon. How many of you can relate to that? It's Sunday. How many of you can relate to that on Sunday at least, right? Come on. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Like me, right? Do you realize that's an inappropriate time to laugh, right? Do you realize that? He noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was. And he was told, this is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. When David sent messengers, then David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home later when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant. She sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. In this moment, you've got David, this great king, right? Like we've been talking about him for the last few weeks. He is like the best 
Like he, he's gone down in history as this great king. He's a man after God's own heart. He's like chiseled himself, choice after choice, decision after decision into this very ripped specimen, I might add. <laughs> he's chiseled himself, he's made decisions, and he's, he's chiseling himself into an image of God. A man after God's own heart where God has created him and says, I know who I want you to be, David. I've designed who I want you to be. And if you just look at me and look at the image that I created, you were created in my image. So if you look back at me, you'll be able to see who I intended you to be like. And so David begins to make these decisions and he chooses to bring the ark, God's presence back in. And he chooses to worship in difficult times and he chooses to not take revenge and he chooses to do all these things. And now we find ourselves our hero. This man who seems invincible, like he can do nothing wrong. We find in this story, we find this man, David, who's taking a stroll up on his roof and he sees this woman of unusual beauty. He points her out and he gets people to bring her to him and he sleeps with her. That's how you get pregnant. Sorry if there's kids in the room and that makes really difficult conversations for parents this afternoon. I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) She gets pregnant. And our king, our strong David, being chiseled into this beautiful, like, example of the kind of person that God wants us to be, all of a sudden, on this pedestal that he's on, he, he, he falls. And Bathsheba comes and says, David, I'm pregnant. See, he seems to be following God's way, chiseling himself into the image that God had for him. But there's a few little things that if we actually pay attention that we could miss out on. Some some things that, that we've been able to see in David's journey as little warning signs. Even at the time that David was crowned king, he had two, three, depending on how you count it, wives. And Hebrew law said that a king, an Israelite king, could only have one. So already we see this example, but it's like, ah, that was pretty normal for kings in the ancient world. Like it was normal for them to have like multiple wives so that they could have many children so that they could have an heir to the throne. But you see, David has two, three wives at Hebron. He marries at least four more women. After he became king of Jerusalem, he took more concubines and wives. And it's interesting, like the scripture actually says that David took more concubines and wives. And normally wives would be mentioned first before the concubines, but clearly the author is trying to make a statement here by saying, do you realize that he's just not taking wives for himself so that he has an heir, but he's just taking women for himself. Like somebody wanted you to know that the Bathsheba and, and, and pregnancy thing that happens later on where he's like, oh, she's pretty, come here. Like that didn't just happen and appear out of nowhere. There's like something that was building in David's life. Like he liked the ladies, right? Like he really did. It's like over and over and over again. He clearly breaks the Mosaic law and it suggests a bigger problem for him with lust. His invisible vulnerability, this vulnerability to things that were there that nobody else could see, that David knew that he was vulnerable to, he knew that he was weak to. It's those things that lead him to this day on the roof where David completely misses the mark. 
See, that's what sin is. In church, we use this word sin all the time. It's not like, I mean, maybe it's become a, a word that's just like used to describe like doing something that's wrong, but like th- this, this word sin is such an important word in the Bible and in understanding our faith. But you know when you really boil it down and you understand and when you really look at what sin is, the word sin simply means to miss the mark. And now we already know because we talked about it a few weeks ago that God's intention for each one of us is that we would chisel ourselves into an image of him. He created humanity in the image of God and then he hands over the chisel to us. And he says, you're gonna make decisions now. Every single day, you're gonna make the choice how you choose to live. And so every decision you make about uh, who you're gonna be friends with, about how you're gonna handle something, about how, whether you're gonna be honest about something or not, whether you're gonna ask for help when you need it, all those things are chiseling you out into this image. And the word sin means to miss the mark. It's like if I'm trying to like chisel, let's actually, let's chisel here. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We're chiseling. All the things that people listening to the podcast later are going to be like, what just happened? Keep that our little secret as we're talking about being vulnerable this morning. Anyway, anyway, it doesn't matter. I'm getting off track. As we chisel these little finger marks on here, you like take a moment and your chisel just goes in a place that it's not supposed to go and all of a sudden you lose the pinky finger. My pinky finger. (laughs) You lose the pinky finger. It's because you missed the mark. If the mark is here for chiseling and you put it just a little bit too far down, all of a sudden you miss it and things begin to shape up and not look the way that God intended for them to look because you just begin to miss the mark on what God actually wants you to do. Uh, A couple years ago for our anniversary, Clark bought me golf clubs. Now, for all of you who feel bad for me right now, I actually did want them, so I asked for them. (laughs) But he bought me golf clubs. He's been a golfer his whole life, and I wanted to learn how to golf because it looked pretty easy. (laughs) And I like a challenge, right? So remember the first time we went to the driving range? I should have brought my clubs. Remember the first time, right? Going to the driving range, and I was like, okay. And Clark's like, okay, then we're gonna go golfing maybe like in a week or two, but you need some practice on the driving range first. I was like, okay, if I can hit five balls straight in a row, I'm ready to golf. (laughs) Should I tell them I still haven't done that ever? (laughs) Maybe not, I'll I'll keep that to myself, okay. So we go golfing. And I'm like, there, there are these targets out here. And I know all I've like, the, the, and the targets are, it's not like one target that you're trying to hit at. This is like, this is even easier than living out our faith, right? It's not like there's like one target we're trying. There's like multiple targets. And I am swinging and I'm ca- coming down. And all I have to do is just like get it to not hit the fence on either side. And I couldn't do it. And over and over and over again, I was like, okay, I think I'm like sitting on my heels too much. I just need to like go up a little bit more on my toes, right? <laughs> I sound like I know what I'm talking about, right? I do know what I'm talking about. 
And then there were some other things and he was like, okay, you just need to like follow through the right way. You just need to make sure, keep your eye on the ball when you're looking down. Like, don't look up to where it's going, look down where it is. And there were all these things. And I realized, man, it's so easy to miss the mark. And I'm not even talking about the targets that are out there. I'm literally right now talking about the ball. <laughs> like, it's so easy to miss the mark. It is so easy. And that's what sin is. Sin is missing the mark. See, God has told us, here's what I want you to look like. I want you to chisel yourself into like an image of me. And because it's hard to see me because God's invisible, I'm going to give you Jesus. And then look at him. That's who I want you to be like. Chisel yourself into an image of him. But it's so easy for us to miss the mark. But every single time we sin, that's what sin means it means that we're that we're <laughs> means that we're missing the mark every single time we sin we're not we're becoming a little bit less of who God designed us to be and so that's why we have this instruction all throughout scripture to abstain from sin and to not let ourselves go down these paths because we end up chiseling ourselves into this image that looks nothing like God intended for us and then we left we're left there going, who am I? I don't, I don't even like who I am. I don't even recognize this person. What is this thing that I've become? Because we made little decisions over time to chisel ourselves away from the image of God. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 14, it says, so the next morning, this is after he finds out Bathsheba is pregnant. The next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest. Then pull back so that he will be killed. See, what happens is after Bathsheba comes and says, David, I'm pregnant and it's yours. Like, like this is why it tells us that she had her um, menstrual cycle right beforehand. So we would know that her husband is out to battle and like, when that happens, it means you're not pregnant. And then when she gets pregnant after that, that's our indication that this is David's kid. Okay, there's no question about it. Like this is David's kid and David's like, oh my gosh, like this is not good. Like this could take me out. Like, like I'm gonna lose credibility. Nobody's gonna take me seriously anymore. Nobody's gonna bow down to me as king. Like this could take me out. And so then he says, okay, I want you to go and get Uriah, her husband, and I want you to get him from battle, tell him to come home, and I want you to tell him that he can go sleep with his wife. Because then he'll come home, and of course, the guy's been out at war for a long time, so he's like ready to go, and he's ready. You'll just like send him back into the room, and they are gonna make a baby, and then everyone will just think it's his baby, not my baby, and then, whew, I'm safe. So he brings Uriah back, but Uriah is this like, you know, righteous man and he wants to do right for his people. And so he ends up sleeping outside the palace and not even going home to his wife. And David asks him like, did you go home? Did you say, oh, you know, like I was with your wife last night, eh? And he's like, I did, sir, king, I didn't go home. How could I do that when, when, our, when our country's at battle? Like I could, never, I could never do that when all the other soldiers don't have that same access. Like, like I, I didn't go. And David's like, oh, great. So then he gets him drunk and he's like, okay, well, maybe you can make a wise decision when you're sober, but I've seen you after you've had a few. <laughs> he's like, there's no way you're going to be able to resist because she is gorgeous. Like there's no way he's going to be able to resist her then. But Uriah, he gets Uriah drunk and still he doesn't go and sleep with his wife. And David's like, what am I going to do now? Like I, I, this woman is pregnant and people know that it's not her husband's. Uh, I'm, I'm, yeah. And so then he contacts the commander of the army and he's like, okay, so I know he's one of our best fighters, but I want you to put him on the front lines so that he's like 
Like as soon as the battle happens, like he'll be the first one to die. Like don't like, because there's like collateral, like just damage at the front. Let's just like go and like get it. But they're taking one of their best fighters and they begin to put him in the front lines. And David knows that if he can just get him killed in battle, <clears throat> then maybe he can avoid this whole thing. David tried to conceal <clears throat> David tried to conceal his sin. But in order to move past your sin, you need to reveal your sin, not conceal it. <clears throat> Admitting the places that you're missing the mark need to happen first. And all David does is try and conceal those things. He's not ready to admit what he did wrong. He doesn't want anybody to know what he did wrong. This woman is pregnant now. There's like evidence of the things and he, all he does is just try and hide it and conceal it. He tries to get rid of the problem. See, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says, if we claim we have no sin, we are fooling ourselves. And the truth, and we're not living in the truth, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. See, the prophet Nathan actually comes and helps David to reveal his sin. Nathan comes to him and he actually gives him this whole story about like, David, there's this guy and, and he has this, <clears throat> this really like precious lamb and it's like all he has and it's this beautiful lamb, this wonderful lamb and then somebody, a richer man comes and takes it and kills the lamb and he's like, what do you think should happen? And David's like, kill him. That's terrible. Like the richer man should never come and take the only lamb this one man has and kill him. And Nathan looks at him, and this is like the only time in history where you don't want to be told you're the man. Because Nathan looks at him and he says, David, you're the man. You're the man who came and took this man's only, her only husband. Like the only thing that they had. You have so many women. You have so many things. And you came and did this one thing. He's like, it's you. And Nathan got him to recognize his own sin and reveals in that moment, listen, I know what you've done. And more than that, God knows what you've done and reveals that there's something there. Listen, I believe that there is so much power to just admitting to ourselves and admitting to God and in some instances admitting to each other when we've fallen short. It's so easy to just hide it and pretend it's not there. It's so much easier to just never tell anybody that you had that moment leaning against the tile in the bathroom and move on and pretend it never happened and not let anybody else into that. But the moment that you're talking to a friend on the phone and you just say, listen, I don't know what's happening to me, then they can partner with you and pray with you. The moment you bring that before God and just say, God, I don't know what's going on. I don't know where I am. I don't know what's happening to me, but I need you. There's power in that when we choose to reveal instead of conceal. It helps us to be able to move forward past our sin. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13 says, then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord by doing this, your child will die. See, David's response here is, con is like in total contrast to the way that we see Saul, the king who was before him, react. When the prophet at that time comes to Saul and says, like, you've missed the mark, Saul's like, makes excuses. And when he finally does admit his sin, he's like, okay, yeah, maybe, but this is why. And he tries to justify it. And instead you have David here where, yeah, he's missed the mark. Yeah, he messed up a little bit. Yeah, he found himself in a place that he didn't want to be, but his response is, I've sinned against the Lord. I've sinned, I've messed up. 
And Nathan's response to him when he recognizes that his repentance is genuine, when he realizes that the heart that he has that he's presenting is actually, like, like, like he's actually sorry for what he's done. He says, yeah, the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this. But that child that Bathsheba's about to have, she's gonna die. Like she's gonna die. So Bathsheba has, maybe David ends up marrying her. So I like to call her Queen Bee because Bathsheba married the king, Queen Bee. And then when I do that, I like to call David Davy and Queen Bee. Some of you will get that, others. Anyway, Queen Bee and Davy have their baby. <clears throat> Don't ask. David knows that that baby's gonna die because of his sin. Now, some of you might be like, wow, that's amazing that David didn't have to die. But man, and as a parent, I can't imagine my child having to die because I did something wrong. And it says that David prays and he fasts and he mourns for seven days. And everybody's like, okay, like he's losing it. And he prays and he asks God, God, please, I'm so sorry, please don't take my child, don't take my son, don't let this little kid die because of me. Come on, please, God. But he recognizes that no matter what the cost, he still has to repent and give back to God. He still has to admit to God that he was at fault. I don't know, there's a part of it for me like, okay, I can reveal to God my sin, like God, here's what I did, but there's a difference between revealing, you are so kind, thank you. There's a difference between admitting your sin and repenting of it. There's a difference between like, God, I really messed up. Look at me. Look at me, after... 16 years, here I am leaning against this cold bathroom, staring myself in the face. Like there's a difference between that and falling down on my knees before God and being like, I'm so sorry. This is not what you want for me. This isn't what I want for myself. This isn't who I wanna be. And this is the thing about repentance. It's about choosing, it's about choosing to live different, about changing your mind, about turning around and going a different direction. It doesn't require us to just acknowledge that we've done something wrong. It requires us to acknowledge, to reveal that that sin is there, but then to repent from it and turn away from it and say, I'm not gonna live like that anymore. I can't do it anymore. I I can't give in to those temptations anymore. I can't live by those things anymore. That's what's required of us. And in this moment, David has a decision to make. He's not just revealing the sin and now Nathan knows and some other people might know what's going on, but he's saying, I messed up, but I don't want to mess up anymore. He's not comfortable there. He's not happy there. And so he chooses to not just admit that he's wrong, but to recognize that he needs to make a change in his own life. See, in order to move past our sin, we first need to reveal it. We need to repent of it, but then we need to receive what it is that God has for us. See, David's crime was punishable by death. 
Like the adultery that he committed in that moment, totally, and you can read it in, in uh, Leviticus chapter 20, totally punishable by death. But in this instant, God shows him mercy. See, there's a couple things that he had to receive here. Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 18 says, and on the seventh day, the king, or on the seventh day, the child died. David's advisors were afraid to tell him he wouldn't listen to reason. He wouldn't listen to reason while the child was ill. They said, what drastic thing will he do when we tell him his child is dead? When David saw them whispering, he realized what had happened. Is the child dead? Because they didn't want to tell him because he was already acting like a crazy person for the seven days praying and believing that he'd be healed. And they're like, okay, he was already devastated and broken for these seven days while the child was sick. Now if we tell him the child's dead, he's going to lose his mind. David hears him whispering and says, is he dead? Yes, they replied, he's dead. Then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions and changed his clothes. He went to the tabernacle and worshiped the Lord. After that, he returned to the palace where he was served food and he ate. His advisors were amazed. We don't understand you, they told him. While the child was still living, you wept and refused to eat. But now that the child is dead, you have stopped your mourning and are eating again. David replied, I fasted and wept while the child was alive. For I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. But why should I fast when he's dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. Now that is a sermon for a different day at a different time that we can't even, we don't even have the time to touch on today. That when David realized that he lost something, his first response is to worship. That was his first response. But here he recognizes that he needed to, to receive something. There are two things. First, he needed to receive and recognize that there were consequences sometimes for missing the mark. The consequence of his actions was that his son, he lost his son, that his son died. But that wasn't the only thing that he received that day was consequences for his actions. And sometimes we like to focus on those things and recognize that, okay, if you're gonna do something wrong, there's consequences for that. But the thing that he received that I wanna talk about until I'm blue in the face and nobody will listen to me anymore is the grace and the mercy that he received from God because that day, David should have been killed. David should have died. He's the one that deserved death. But instead, God steps in and is merciful and says, you're forgiven. Come on, that's the thing that he needs to receive. Let's not, let's not talk about the, the consequence. You know that. You know that when you mess up, there are consequences for your actions. You know that when you, you did whatever you did in your family, the impact that it had on your kids. You know the impact that that had on your marriage. You know the impact that that had. You see the consequences of your actions. But what I believe you need to receive this morning is not recognize that there's consequences for your actions, but you need to recognize that there's a grace and a mercy that God extends to you in the life of Jesus. And he says, listen, I love you so much that every time you miss the mark and you knock off a finger and every time you chop off your head and every time you take a gouge out of your side and every time these things begin to happen, I want you to know that I'm there and I'm gonna put you back together and I'm here to pick up the pieces and I'm here to help you continue to chisel yourself into the image that I have for you. See, this is a story of the gospel. That we come broken and messed up and in pieces and fragmented and desperate. See, I, will, I would love to know if there's a perfect person in the room because I read scripture and it says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that means that maybe my sin is worse than yours sometimes and maybe yours is worse than mine, but we are all in the same boat this morning that there are times where we just miss the mark. I'm not talking about the big stuff. 
I'm talking about every day there are things that we do that are making us less look like Jesus and like God intended us to look. We're just missing the mark, little decisions at a time. But God is here and he's saying, listen, just because you do that does not mean it's over for you. I can still use you. That is why one of our values here is restoration over rejection. Because I don't care if you are a bunch of just like jagged, crumbled rocks on the floor right now. I believe that my God can pick you up and put you back together this morning. It doesn't matter who you are. We're all vulnerable to these moments. The enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He wants to get you off track. He does not want you to become who God intended you to be. He wants to tell you, do things your own way. Put together the pieces this way. Act this way. Do things this way. He's trying to convince you. But God is here with open arms. See, God said, I know that you don't, you, you've messed up. I know that you're not worth it. I know that you don't deserve it. Like we, like I hate hearing those words because I'm like, what do you mean I don't deserve it? What do you mean I don't deserve forgiveness? What do you mean I, I don't deserve salvation? Listen, we don't deserve it. We're the ones who mess things up. We don't deserve it. But that's what grace is. That's, grace is God saying, I love you so much that I don't care how much you messed up. I don't care how many decisions you made. I'm gonna send my son to die. I'm gonna send my son as a, as a token for you. I'm gonna send my son here so that you can see that there's somebody who's gonna die in your place so that you don't have to die. You can experience life. You can experience freedom. You can experience joy. You can experience hope. Listen, that is what the gospel message is all about. And I'm so thankful that every time I find find myself wounded and broken, kneeling on a cold bathroom floor that I can look to God and be like, God, I'm so broken. I'm so wounded. God, I'm so fragmented, but your, your hope is here. Your restoration is here. Your healing is here. Your forgiveness is here. God, help me to live myself, live my life in a way that aligns with what you have for me. Because that is the God that we serve. We promise restoration over rejection because we believe that this morning. Reveal, you gotta admit that you made a mistake. Sometimes it's hard to admit that we're not invincible. You've gotta repent and realize that you've gotta turn away from some things and turn to God in that. And you've gotta receive the grace and the hope and the life and the joy that you have. We deserve death, but God loves us so much that he took the place of that. Would you stand? You know what I feel like I'm walking through right now? Sorry, head down. feel like I keep trying to, oops, I don't think I was supposed to lift that foot. I keep missing the mark right now. But this is the thing that I love about my God, is that he comes up right beside me and he's like, hey, 
Just lean a little bit more on your toes, not right, not back on your heels. Okay, keep your head down. Okay, keep your foot planted. Follow through all the way. Because he wants to see me succeed. He wants to see me hit the mark. He doesn't like seeing me broken. Listen, I gotta ask the question this morning. Listen, if you are in this room right now and you were like, I have been missing the mark over and over and over again. And when you're talking about receiving that grace and that forgiveness, like I need that, I need that. I've been missing the mark and I need that forgiveness. I, I, need, I need to receive that grace this morning. When you're talking about how I can live with hope and I don't have to live with the shame of how I feel. I don't have to be embarrassed about the life that I've lived. Listen, the, the Bible says that he, as far as the East is from the West, that's how far he takes your mistakes and removes them from you. Like you can have a fresh start this morning, but all you have to do is receive that into your life and say, God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I've been trying to carve out my own life and I'm not impressed with how I'm doing. I need to know how to do this a little bit better. I need your forgiveness. I need your help. Listen, if you're here in this room right now, I just wanna, I just wanna like say a prayer this morning that I'm, I'm just gonna get you to pray with me. If you're here in this room and you would just say this morning, like I need to receive that right now. Like I, I feel like such, I've like just keep missing the mark, but I, I just want to choose to receive the forgiveness and the grace and the life and the freedom and the joy that God has to me. Like, I wanna receive that this morning. Listen, if that's you this morning, would you just like boldly raise your hand right now and just say, that's me. Like, I want that this morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, let's just pray together right now, okay? Jesus, I need you. Repeat after me. Jesus, I need you. I miss the mark and I need you. So God, I give you my life. I take my hands off. Would you come and restore me? Forgive me, guide me. I need you, amen. Listen, I'm believing that this week will be different for so many of you. That this week will be a fresh start, a launching point for you to recognize that you don't have to keep living. And maybe you're like David, maybe it hasn't been the like, like Queen Bee moment yet where you just like fell for the girl on the roof. Like maybe it hasn't been like that yet, but maybe you're just like leading there and you just like realize this morning, man, if I don't change that, that could be a dark place for me. Listen, this is, this is part of the chiseling process is to recognize that God is working on you, but that you have to take ownership for your own decisions and you, the way that you choose to live and the things that you choose to do. Every single one of us, all of us, every single day are making those decisions to try and shape ourselves into what God wants it to be. And it's not too late for you to correct course. You're never a write-off. Restoration over rejection, always. And so together, church, let's stand in the victory this morning that we have grace, that we have restoration, that we have healing, that we have forgiveness, that we have life, that we can step into everything that God has for us because we don't have to live in our pain and our suffering and our mistakes anymore. Come on, you with me?